Welcome to Tales of Resistance. I'm Tony Pacheco. Today on our first episode, I'll introduce the show, and then we're going to talk about one of my favorite civil rights leaders. She was a slave, a spy, and the first woman to lead a military mission for the United States, Araminta Ross. There are so many things that she accomplished. We will in no way be able to cover all of them in one episode. So this is going to be a two-parter. Interestingly enough, that will still not be enough time to cover everything, so other stories of hers will follow on future episodes. In every episode, following our story, there will be two segments. Resistance of the Week, which is one successful act of resistance from the recent past, and our call to action, which is one way we can resist in the future. So, a little about me. In college, I studied political science. And the most fascinating thing to me were the random facts and interesting stories that told of how people, just like you and I, were able to place enough pressure on government to force policy change. I loved telling these stories to friends and family. They each gave new insight into how changes in our government actually came about. Unlike how we're taught in school, it was never just governmental choice or one great speech that expanded people's rights but the actions of real people who stood in opposition to the powerful. Those stories are so inspiring. They highlight how individuals standing together can challenge the largest institutions and win. Many of these stories have gone untold. Many names will not be recognizable. But you will almost always recognize the results that followed. With some of our stories, there may be conflicting accounts of events and some disagreement in timelines. I've primarily picked the most direct line through the story in order to piece together the best narrative. Araminta Ross was born enslaved in Dorchester County, Maryland. She was nicknamed Minty by her parents. Harriet Green, also known as Rit, was Minty's mother. She cooked at the big house at Bucktown Farm, a plantation owned by Mary Brodress. Minty's father was Ben Ross. He served at the Madison Plantation, which was owned by Anthony Thompson. Rit and Ben had their own family, with five girls and four boys, all enslaved. The split ownership could have further complicated the lives of these children, since their parents were owned by two different people. But this issue was simplified when Mary, Rit's owner, and Anthony, Ben's owner, were wed. Some years later, Mary, Minty's owner, passed away, leaving all that she had to her then eight-year-old son, Edward. As a young child, Minty was entrusted to watch her owner's children. By the age of five, she was tasked with staying up all night with the youngest child, making sure the baby did not cry. As we all know, babies cry, and it's not always possible to stop it from happening. So night after night, this five-year-old child stayed up all night watching her owner's baby. When the baby cried and Minty could not get it to stop, it woke Minty's owners, and they would beat her severely. One morning, the baby was especially fussy. Minty did all that she could to keep the baby from crying. She held it and fed it and made sure the cloth diapers were clean, but it did not matter. The first time the baby woke her owner, he whipped her across the back. Each time, the severity of her beatings increased. By 7 a.m., she'd been whipped five different times, leaving permanent scars on her back. Then, in 1822, 
when Edward turned 21, he was married and took full control of his inherited estate. Bucktown Farm was much smaller than most plantations, so the largest part of Edward's wealth was in slaves, and he relied on them entirely for his income. By 1825, Edward's mismanagement had led to large debts in his name. Not long after, Edward wanted to sell Minty's brother to settle the debts. At first, Rit, Minty's mother, hid him so that he would not be taken away and sold. After hunting far and wide for the young boy, Edward shortly discovered that Minty's brother was hiding at home. He rounded up the overseers and sent the men to Minty's quarters. The men came with their whips and clubs, shouting as they marched to the slave quarters. They planned to take him by force. As the mob of plantation overseers were planning exactly how to extract Minty's brother, Rit called out from her quarters, You can surely come and take the boy. I don't doubt that. But the first one of you through this door will get his skull split in two. The men backed down and decided not to tempt Minty's mother. In this moment, Minty learned a valuable lesson. Even those who had all rights taken away from them and were labeled as property could still stand up to those in power, and sometimes they would win. This act of defiance was not to be tolerated, though. Edward still needed to settle his debts, so he did end up selling some of his slaves, just not Minty's brother. In retaliation, he sold many slaves, starting with Minty's three sisters, Mariah, Lenaya, and Soph. Years later, as a teenager, Minty had gained the trust of her owners. This trust extended her newfound opportunities that not many slaves had, like access to the outside world. She was occasionally asked to leave the plantation to pick up supplies. One day, while she was asked to go to the corner store to pick up provisions, on her way to the store she encountered another slave, a field hand. Little did she know that he had left the plantation without permission. Although if she were completely honest, she did know he was a field hand and that they were rarely, if ever, given the chance to leave the property. As she came across this slave, she was also approached by a large white man, who was the field hand's overseer. The overseer attempted to catch the slave and return him to the plantation. He lunged for the slave, but the slave dodged. He tried again, and still could not restrain him. He shouted to Minty, grab that man. Channeling her mother's example, and in one of her first acts of open defiance, she refused. He commanded her again, but before she could further refuse, something came flying towards her from the overseer's hand. It struck her in the head, knocking her to the ground. The overseer had thrown a two-pound weight. After the blow, she was on the ground, knocked out cold. She was returned to the plantation, not waking for several days. When she came to, she noticed a dent in her skull. Along with the seizures, severe headaches, and narcoleptic episodes, she would also live with this dent for the rest of her life. Then, in 1849, Minty's owner needed to sell slaves yet again to cover his debts. Rumors started flying amongst the slaves as to who would be sold next. No one quite knew who would be the ones to go, but Minty heard that she and her brothers were going to be the first sold. Minty began praying. She prayed nightly that her owner change his mind. In her words, she said, I prayed all night long for my master until the first of March. And when her prayers did not seem to produce the change of heart that she was looking for, she changed her prayer. 
Oh, Lord, if you ain't never going to change this man's heart, kill him, Lord, and take him out the way. One week later, Edward died. Minty felt guilty and full of remorse. She had felt vengeful but never actually intended to bring about Edward's death. Unfortunately, her master's death only brought more uncertainty regarding her and her brother's future. It made it even more likely that they were going to be sold. She had already seen her mother stand up to a mob to prevent one of her brothers from being sold, and had lost three of her sisters through their sale to other plantations, and Minty was not going to let that happen to herself and her two brothers. She concluded that trying to escape even if they were caught, was a better option than being sold from Maryland into the Deep South. She had made up her mind. She had been saving money by hiring her labor out to other plantations in her off time. As an aside, I know it sounds strange that slaves had off time, but they were given Sundays off every week to worship. Many slaves also used this time to rent their labor out to neighboring plantations for money. Minty had also met people who were conductors on the Underground Railroad on her trips to town. She made a plan to escape with her two brothers, strongly believing that God would guide her on her path. As part of her plan, she needed to make some preparations. Upon setting out, fugitive slaves often changed their first and last names. They did not want to leave any traces. All they wanted was a total break from their lives in bondage. In preparation for her escape, Minty changed her first name to her mother's and adopted her husband's last name. Now, as a fugitive slave, she would be known as Harriet Tubman. We will be continuing Harriet Tubman's story on the next episode. But let's move on to Resistance of the Week. Today is the one-year anniversary of the 2017 Women's March. The organizers said the march was intended to send a bold message to our new administration on their first day in office, and to the world that women's rights are human rights. This was an event that had hundreds, if not thousands, of organizers worldwide in order to pull off. There were at least 408 marches in the U.S. alone, with additional events taking place all over the world. This resulted in having a protest on every continent. Yes, even Antarctica. That resulted in 603 marches that were reported to have taken place worldwide. The attendance was impressive. There were half a million in D.C. alone and 5.2 million in the U.S., making it the largest single protest in U.S. history. I want to thank all the organizers that took their time and effort to put on these events and everyone that marched in the streets in order to remind the Trump administration that women's rights would be a highlight of his presidency, whether he liked it or not. Now finally, our call to action. This is one thing that we can do as citizens to take back our government and resist. This week, it's as easy as registering to vote. Primaries for the 2018 congressional elections are coming up soon. The earliest one is in Texas on March 3rd. These primaries determine which candidates will be allowed to run in the congressional election in November. Which may not sound like a big deal, but it is in fact a very big deal. 
I know that may sound weird because it's not the general election, but I'm sure you recognize the feeling of getting to the election and being forced to pick from the lesser of two evils. By not voting in the primaries, you allow others to choose which candidates you can vote for. On the converse, getting registered and voting in the primaries is a great way to promote candidates that actually represent us, the people. And this is why it is so important to vote in the upcoming election. Congress acts as a check on the executive branch, which we all know is inhabited by the Trump administration. Additionally, not many people take the opportunity to vote in primaries, so your vote is worth more. You get a direct say in who gets to run for office in the actual election. So, for our call to action this week, I would ask all of you to register to vote. It's real easy thanks to Rock the Vote. Just go to rockthevote.com and click on the register to vote button. From there, they will lead you through a step-by-step -step menu either helping you fill out the registration form or helping you to get registered online if you just so happen to be in one of the 37 states and D.C. which has online registration. So that was our episode. Thank you for listening. For more information about the podcast, please go to our website, talesofresistance.com or follow us on Twitter at Resistance Tales podcast created and produced by tony pacheco and ginger eves theme music is by asura and our call to action music the music you're hearing right now is by jason shaw additional music in the episode is by chris zabriskie broke for free jason shaw and jazar for more song info please see our website